Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. California's statewide rental assistance program is now open. The $2.6 billion program is using federal funds to get relief into the hands of struggling renters and landlords. State Housing Director Gustavo Velasquez is urging landlords and tenants to work together in applying for the program to help pay rent that's past due. Look, nobody wanted or expected this pandemic to happen. Yet, The economic hardship is real for both sides, renters and landlords. Landlords with low-income tenants who apply could get 80% of unpaid rent during the pandemic, but they'll have to forego the rent and agree not to pursue eviction. Some larger cities in the Bay Area, including Oakland, San Francisco, and San Jose, will create their own separate rent relief programs to target renters with the lowest incomes. It's unknown how much back rent is owed across the state, but estimates range from $400 million to almost $2 billion. In Southern California, Los Angeles Unified School campuses are expected to reopen next month, but results from a new survey show about half the families who responded are still reluctant to send their kids back to the classroom. About 10% of families have filled out the survey, and 51% say they want their children to return under a hybrid model a mix of in-class and remote learning. Here's L.A. Unified Superintendent Austin Butner speaking at his weekly news conference yesterday. While it's still early and the numbers will change, we see the greatest reluctance to sending their children back to schools from the communities hardest hit by the virus. These also happen to be the same communities where families are struggling to get by and most likely to have had someone in the family who lost work due to the virus. Butner says while he takes these concerns seriously, he doesn't want to see opportunity gaps widen for kids in low-income communities, emphasizing that the district is creating the safest possible school environment. Well, this week, we're bringing you stories from our collaboration with CalMatters College Journalism Network. 
Each story is a window into how the pandemic has shaped the experiences of college students. Today, we head to Cal State Monterey Bay and its Center for Black Student Success. Because it's so new, the center has been confined to virtual outreach since it got started. But students say it's been a valuable resource during the pandemic. And leaders say the flexibility to grow remotely has helped the center expand what it offers faster than it may have during normal times. Sacramento State junior Kayleen Carter has the story. Brian Terry is standing in his kitchen with a table full of ingredients. Celery, onions, carrots, stock, all in front of him. It looks like a YouTube cooking show, but Terry is hoping to pass on more than just culinary skills with his talk. I think it's important for me to recognize that all the work that I'm doing is standing on the shoulders of my ancestors and their understanding of the importance of, of black people being self-sufficient, being able to uh, feed ourselves. Terry is the chef in residence at the Museum of African Diaspora in San Francisco, and tonight He's talking to students from Cal State Monterey Bay as part of a virtual speaker series for the school's Center for Black Student Success. So far, all the center's speakers have been virtual because the center's only existed in pandemic times. Associate Professor Vanessa Lopez-Littleton was one of the faculty members who pushed to establish a center in the wake of the killing of George Floyd last year. Because we recognized some indicators that students were not persisting to a degree, that students were not doing graduating on time, that students were, you know, not feeling a sense of belonging. It's easy to understand why black students at CSUMB would struggle to feel like they belong. Of the around 7,400 students enrolled starting fall 2020, less than 300 were black. Darshel Burnett is president of CSUMB's Black Student Union. Her brother and sister went to CSUMB in the mid-2000s. And when they described to me the, the spirit and the culture, they really created it themselves. They had to really talk to each other and be there for each other. Because they didn't have tools like social media to seek out community on campus. But even with these supports, Burnett struggled too. But when CBSS really started coming into play, it created this force of allowing us students to be able to see who's out there and allowing us to be able to see what resources that we actually do have. Resources like mentoring, tutoring, and personal finance workshops. The center will also fund up to $250 a year for textbooks. Burnett takes advantage of many of these tools herself, including the textbook funding. She's also gotten connected to NAACP volunteering opportunities, and she's contributing to a research collaborative that's tracking the impacts of COVID-19 on black students. Sometimes we as students don't need just another mixer or just another meet and greet. Sometimes we do need to see those black professionals doing their crafts. Professionals like Chef Brian Terry, who we heard from earlier at the CBSS virtual speaker series. Dr. Umi Vaughn is the director of CBSS and says some of the constraints around planning these events during the pandemic have actually been silver linings. And in terms of bringing like high level guests and stuff, the virtual time has been a boon for the center because we don't have to pay for their transport. We don't have to pay for the hotel. We don't have to pay for the audiovisual tech in the theater. We don't have to rent the theater. You know what I mean? So it's given us maybe a little more reach than what we would have otherwise had. And they're likely to maintain this flexible format in the future, he says. Looking forward, Professor Vanessa Lopez-Littleton says CBSS hopes to be a model for other campus groups. The hope is that our students will 
say that they feel like they belong, that they have these deep connections with faculty and they want to stay. And when there's problems, that they bring them to us and give us an, an opportunity to help them. And student Darshel Burnett says, when it's finally time to go back to campus, Black students will have a new safe space where they can connect in person. And maybe we'll stop having to code switch as much on campus and give that those students the uh, opportunity to get ahead of their imposter syndrome and not be stuck within it like I was for a good time. For the California Report, I'm Kaylin Carter in Sacramento. And this collaboration was made possible by the College Futures Foundation. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Governor Gavin Newsom and other California Democrats have formally launched a campaign to fight the effort to recall him from office. This comes after his opponents spent months gathering signatures to qualify a recall measure for the ballot. More now from the California Report's Saul Gonzalez. Called Stop the Republican Recall, the new campaign has rolled out its first ad. It portrays the recall effort as a harebrained scheme promoted by right-wing radicals and conspiracy theorists. Who's behind the partisan recall of Governor Gavin Newsom? Anti-vaccine QAnon extremists. Violent white supremacists like the Proud Boys who attacked our nation's capital on January 6th. The ad goes on to say that the recall campaign also takes away attention from fighting the pandemic. Meanwhile, nationally, such political figures as Senators Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker simultaneously announced their opposition to the recall, citing Newsom's effort to protect Californians from COVID. For the California Report, I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California's junior U.S. Senator Alex Padilla says that the federal government faces challenges in housing the spiking number of unaccompanied migrant children crossing the border with Mexico. KQED's Guy Marzarati has that story. The number of children crossing the border by themselves jumped 60 percent between January and February, according to the Associated Press. In an interview with KQED, Senator Padilla says finding safe housing for these kids is a logistical challenge. With the uptick in, in the numbers of uh, folks we're talking about uh, and uh, you know, in better, more humane Uh, housing conditions coupled with COVID-19 protocols, uh, it is definitely more challenging at the time. President Biden's health department is converting a Dallas convention center into a shelter for immigrant teenagers, and the department is reportedly eyeing locations in California as well. Padilla chairs the Senate Subcommittee on Immigration. He says Congress needs to keep an eye on how migrant children are being treated in these temporary facilities. It's our job to uh, maintain the proper oversight and they keep the proper pressure uh, to make sure it's done and, and done properly. 
Under former President Trump, migrant children caught crossing the border during the COVID-19 pandemic were expelled. But the Biden administration has changed course and is allowing the children to seek protection in the U.S. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. California Attorney General Javier Becerra is among 24 AGs across the country criticizing opioid giant Purdue Pharma's plan to reorganize itself after bankruptcy. In a proposal released last night, the Sackler family has upped its offer to settle hundreds of thousands of claims against it. But payment would come over the next decade, and attorneys general say it's not nearly enough. The company helped fuel the addiction crisis that's left more than 450,000 Americans dead. It's a big week for the state's COVID-19 vaccine rollout, with millions more Californians with pre-existing conditions now eligible for the vaccine. To learn more about these important new changes, we called up Andy Imperato. He is the executive director of Disability Rights California. For people who have high-risk disabilities who are trying to get the vaccine, they can self-attest to the existence of their disability and they don't have to have a letter from a, a treating medical professional. That is going to be a game changer in terms of people getting access to the vaccine. So we're very grateful for that. But are you worried at all that not requiring proof could allow non-eligible people to cut in line? Well, there's two things. One, we, we feel that it's important that people with disabilities not be required to provide proof if other people in priority categories are not being required to provide proof. So, for example, my 22-year-old son, who's a classroom teacher, was able to get the vaccine at a CVS without having to show any documentation that he was a classroom teacher. And then we're also concerned about the barrier that it creates to have to go see a doctor and get a certification from a doctor. So, yes, we think the trade-off is worth it. Do you feel like People with disabilities, uh, whether it's physical or intellectual and developmental disabilities, have been left behind when it comes to vaccines in California. Should they have been more of a priority early on? I mean, so at Disability Rights California, we have maintained since before the holidays that people who are high risk, who are under 65, should have access to the vaccine at the same time as people who are high risk or over 65. So in late January, when the governor said that age was going to be the factor uh, and that folks who are under 65 with disabilities might have to wait until June to get the vaccine, we were very concerned that a lot of people were going to die because of that decision. And we are delighted that the governor changed his position. Andy, as things stand now, are vaccine sites easily accessible to Californians with physical disabilities? So the vaccine sites are not consistently accessible, but part of what the state is doing this week is they're opening up a lot of different ways for people to get access to the vaccines, including pop-up sites that are specifically targeting folks with disabilities like independent living centers, the regional center system that serves people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are partnering with community-based organizations and service providers to try to get the vaccine to people in places that are easy for them to access. And I know that supply of the vaccine is a big concern for you. Talk us through what worries you there. Do we have enough from what you can tell? Yeah, I mean, my, my understanding from Dr. Aragon, the head of the California Department of Public Health, as of last week, is that we'll have about 900,000 new first-dose vaccines available this week and about the same amount next week, and then it will go up dramatically. 
So yes, vaccine supply is a concern. And I'm also hoping that people who are comfortably sheltering in place and are not at high risk of dying from COVID will wait a couple of weeks before they try to access the vaccine. Andy, it's really good to get your take on this. Andy Imperato is the Executive Director of Disability Rights California. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lily. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.